All right, Ben. Uh, welcome back to another podcast between us idiots, and we are discussing AC joint injuries today. This is episode nine. Um, ben, the hockey community has historically been effective at driving reductions in injury rates by changing rules, governing equipment, a bit of ring construction, and gameplay. Most notably, we've seen changes in you know head, face, cervical spine. So injuries have been altered to help with making the game better and safer. However, we still have a lot of work to do with clavicle injuries and ac joint injuries um so it's not just ac joint sprains but clavicle fractures sternoclavicular joint injuries and the high speeds involved in in hockey and the need for flexible shoulder pads kind of um give us that challenge of being able to play at a cool level and in a cool way but we're still predisposed to things we're not going to be able to stop every shoulder injury but um according to melvin a all in 2018 the ac joint is the most commonly injured structure in ice hockey players and ac joint sprains or dislocations are the most common shoulder injuries in ncaa players um also toyminant i think that's his the individual's name in 2017 studied the incidents and prevalence of uh injuries at the world junior uh championships between 2006 and 2015 the shoulder was the most common area for upper body injury uh, as the ac joint sprains were 60 percent of those injuries so i'll just talk a little bit about um what the ac joint is and then i'll i'll ask you some questions um because you've seen a lot of these injuries as well so the injury is most commonly a result of a direct impact to the ac joint the ac joint is surrounded by a capsule and has an intra-articular uh synovium and an intra and an articular cartilage interface. An articular disc is usually present in the joint, but this varies in shape and size. The AC joint capsule is quite thin, but has considerable ligamentous support. There are four AC ligaments, superior, inferior, anterior, and posterior. The primary function of the AC joint is to allow the scapula additional range of motion on the thorax. It allows for adjustments of the scapula you know, kind of like tipping and into internal external rotation outside the sagittal plane uh, to allow for changing the shape of the thorax as the arm um, movement occurs. The joint also allows the transmission of forces from upper extremity to the clavicle. The AC joint is the articulation between the lateral end of the clavicle and a small facet on the chromium of the scapula. This is a little bit varied for people as well, but the ligaments uh, more so important to us, uh, the coracoclavicular ligaments, these are the combined ligaments that are the primary support ligament of the AC joint. The coracoclavicular ligaments run from the coracoid process. So if somebody wants to pull up a photo while they're listening, that'd probably be great, if, unless you're a whiz at the anatomy of this. Um, the ligament runs from the coracoid process to the clavicle beside the AC joint. What they do is contribute to stability horizontally, making them helpful for prevention of superior dislocation of the AC joint. These ligaments limit the rotation of the scapula also. From a range of motion perspective, the job of the coracoclavicular ligament is in producing the longitudinal rotation of the clavicle so uh, to get elevation of the upper extremity, basically. These two ligaments, though, it's not just one ligament, the conoid ligament and the trapezoid ligament. The conoid uh, fans out is more medial than the trapezoid. The trapezoid is kind of lateral and is a bit more... Uh, quadrilateral in shape. I'm almost done ranting here. The other main ligament is the actual 
uh, AC ligament, which helps stabilize the joint capsule and serves as the primary restraint to translation posteriorly and against rotation at the AC joint. Um, so that's kind of like your passive stabilizers, right? Whereas um, dynamically stabilizing things is really basic. It's, it's, it's really the delts and the traps around this area. For example, um, one of the studies that I looked at by Salter et al. examined cadavers and found the superior AC ligament blends with the musculotendinous aponeurosis fascia, which contributes to the origin of the delts and insertion of the traps as well. So it's like very integrated. So we could argue that of course, there's some dynamic stability potentially uh, through this joint. Um, one thing that we may not think about is due to their actions, the deltotrapezial complex may also contribute adversely to the degenerative AC joint conditions. So like they're creating a lot of excessive joint compression. Also, the nature of scapulohumeral motion, the influence of the scapulothoracic scapuloclavicular and scapulohumeral musculature and kinematics will have some sort of effect one would think and some of the researchers think on the dynamic stability of the ac joint as well so ac joint injuries are relatively common accounting for about 40 percent of all shoulder injuries in contact sports due to the nature of its surface which is highly sloped and its inevitable nature of getting crunched into the boards in hockey creates an environment for shoulder issues so ben um what is the mechanism of injury of an AC joint injury, and then you can kind of lead into maybe diagnosis as well. Yeah, and you just kind of touched on it a little bit, but the like it's it's almost like a direct force that comes from like the outside and pushes that acromion down, and it just kind of goes like under the tip of the collarbone, and like in hockey, obviously, there's a lot of impact with that, um, especially like you know there's so many external factors, right? Even if like, so say checking or hitting is one of the biggest ones, um, any contact on the other side of the hit or just in general with like glass or boards, um, dashers, whatever it may be just falling, um, you know, outstretched hand or elbow may also lead to that. So, I mean, think of how many times a player is falling just yeah. in the run of a game. Right. Um, in terms of like a clinical presentation, I think we should probably touch on that unless you'll have anything to, add in terms of mechanism of injury uh i think if you hit it on the head it's like you're either getting smushed in the boards you're falling onto your elbow your shoulder um things like that so yeah i agree with you yeah um and in terms of just in terms of clinical presentation the ac joint typically it's a, it's almost like that superior yet anterior shoulder pain um and a lot of them, a lot of them will tell you, like obviously, what their mechanism is, mechanism of injury is, and it's normally that trauma from an external factor. And normally, it's um, you know pain, especially directly on the area or radiating into the neck or shoulder. Um, often worse, especially like so, I don't know if you're the same, but I hear a lot of people saying like it's really hard to sleep, like sleep in general, like on that side or on the opposite side, they just find it very hard to get comfortable. Um, and then just movement in general, you know, I, I tend to see a lot of people, especially as soon as they come into clinic, it's almost like they're in that natural sling position, uh, holding the arm against their body. Mm -hmm. Um, they do find it really tender at the location and we'll, we'll talk about that when we get into differential diagnosis, but, um, uh, 
they tend to also have like a restriction in the active and passive range of motion, but it's normally secondary to pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot for... of uh, sorry, you go ahead. No, I was just say that. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, and just in terms of like you know some other like observable signs, I think you see like swelling, bruising, definitely in the area. And we'll get into maybe the rockwood signs in a second, but you'll tend to see um, if if it's more than a grade one, you'll tend to see some type of deformity. Absolutely. And one thing I would add is what you definitely said was your palpation skills are pretty like, not that palpation is always bang on, but I've found if you got an AC and you just go to the AC part of your differential diagnosis, just like they're like going to jump away. If you like poke them at the AC joint, you like, you'll, you'll kind of have a, a better glimpse of that. Cause that's partly, of course it's different than you go to the greater tubercle of the, the shoulder or, or the humerus. So like, Absolutely. I think that all, that all ticks the box. The um, part of in differentiating the significant or the, you know, the differences in the grades, the Rockwood classification is something that you've used and uh, people may be understanding of. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. In 1984, Rockwood described uh, it's a six part classification system. And it's primarily around AC joint separations. Um, any path, any pathology around the AC joint, but that was specifically what he was looking at. Um, type one was more of a sprain to the AC ligament itself. I'll just kind of rhyme right through them here. Yeah. Type two, AC joint disrupted with tearing of the AC ligament, coracoclavicular ligament is sprained. Uh, type 3, AC ligament disrupted, AC joint displaced, coracoclavicular clavicular ligament disrupted, deltoid and trapezius oozily detached from distal end of the clavicle. Um, so you'll see quite a bit of a, uh, you'll see quite a bit of a displacement at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, type 4, ligaments are disrupted, joints displaced, clavicle anatomically displaced through trapezius muscle. Coracoclavicular ligament disrupted, deltoid and trapezius detached. Type 5, even worse, as you can imagine. AC and coracoclavicular ligaments disrupted. AC joint is dislocated at this point. Gross displacement between clavicle and scapula. And then type 6, not great. AC and coracoclavicular ligaments disrupted. Distal clavicle inferior to a chromium. So that's kind of the first time that you see that it's going to be inferior mm-hmm. to the acromion to, or coracoid process, deltoid and trapezius detached from clavicle. So at the end of the day, like he, he really did make a classification system here. That was really good just to like outline for us. Yeah. Um, what is this like four years later? And it yeah. still stands. Like, I think one of the big things to actually take away from this is if you see anything that's disrupted more than, and I'm sure you'd agree here, if you see anything that's disrupted more than a type one, probably good to send away for um, imaging to make sure that there's not further disruption of, um, you know, the clavicle and other things in the area. Yeah, absolutely. And what that would do then is also help you game plan. Not that we're just timeline people, but that's going to help you, uh, with giving you an understanding of how long this is going to take and what may you have to slightly alter uh, from your uh, rehab perspective. Yeah. And again, and it gives I, the coaching staff and, and the player just a bit of a timeline probably as well. 
hundred percent. And if you ever like, just go like, as I'm running through those, like, just Google what it actually looks like. There's plenty of pictures of it, and you can really tell like just the the displacement, and you can almost like think of um, what's happening at the time. Yeah, it's a it's it's definitely something that if anybody works in hockey, that they should kind of. It doesn't take much time to look at it, but after looking at it a couple times, you'll understand. Uh, how to differentiate things just make sure you have your anatomy down pat and then you know, it honestly makes sense from that yeah absolutely um cool so i, I think the rock was something that you don't have to memorize right but it's good to know uh just gives you a, a lot of a, an understanding so thanks for speaking on that i think um valuable information it's always good just to go back and take a look at it i'll speak a bit about the surgery versus conservative approach a bit here because it kind of lies into this um so generally um most AC joints that you and I and people listening will see are more than grade one twos, but they will likely, if you cover uh, contact sports enough, you're going to see a three, four, maybe five. Um, and a systematic review called return to sport and clinical outcomes after surgical management of a chromioclavicular joint dislocation a systematic review by Jeff K and a few others in 2018, sorry, 2018 noted that an almost perfect return rate of uh, to sport was there, um, but not a perfect return to performance. Like 62% of people got back to that. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about this and how it relates to what we're just talking about, but the comparables were in uh, rugby cycling and soccer and a bit about in hockey. But if someone has seen a fair amount of AC joints, they'll know there's a controversy regarding the indications for surgical management of these anyways. So there with, with a significant number of studies that we've looked at, there's really no difference between operative and non-operative, at least um, in the grade three perspective and more and more research. Uh, people will also know that like a grade four and five usually could be indicated for surgery, but some of the research uh, going back a couple of years now, Chang and colleagues in 2018 said that non-operative treatment may be equivalent to operative treatment for these injuries, but we just don't know the return to sport as much in that. Like our boy, Paul McDonald um, goes and scores a goal in soccer and does the, the cartwheel and falls directly onto his shoulder and he gets a grade four and he conservatively managed that back to soccer, uh, you know, albeit at a high level men's league, um, not, a, not a collision anyway. sport. He's a moron. <laughs> but um, that just speaks to like, hey, this isn't that's a UK injury. Maybe they deal with it differently than they do here. But ultimately, it's like somewhere after grade three there could be a, um, a surgical management perspective. So something just to look into the, these, these systematic reviews are saying like, Hey, if you're probably having a grade five, you're probably having a surgery, but three, four and two, it's like, uh, unless you're uh, really worried about the cosmetic side of things, I don't think you're necessarily, uh, you're getting an op, at least in the, the, the context that we work in differential diagnosis um, here, Ben, um, I had, I'll write, I'll just say a couple of things that you can add, like obviously a rotator cuff injury. We're thinking about labrum, not to say that they're exactly presenting the same, but you see somebody get collision and you see something, what, anything else that you would, you'd bring up? I think one of the big things that can't really go m missed is, uh, just collarbone fractures, clavicle fractures yeah. is one of the big things. So just have a feel down the collarbone anyway. And I know mm -hmm. most people obviously are probably like, of course, Ben, I'm not an idiot, yeah. but yeah. 
it's well, always we are. good just in, yeah. it's always good yeah. just in case um i am at least an idiot but yeah <laughs> I always check for subluxation just in case. And really, mm -hmm. the other thing, too, just because as you can hear from the Rockwood classifications, um, trapezius like can have involvement a lot. So it's always good to check and see if maybe they're just having a soft tissue injury in the area. Um, differential diagnosis-wise, obviously, just maybe checking more for like um, any resistive movements and just checking to make sure or almost like checking to see if the area itself, as I mentioned earlier when you palpate is super locally painful yeah. uh, like ac joint compression or a scarf test like along that yeah. line mm -hmm. um comparatively like i said to a resistance test mm -hmm. yeah we're also like mindful of like neurovascular stuff as well um uh, distal clavicle arthritic changes that's more so going to be like you're in the clinic not necessarily at the at the moment of the injury yeah. external clavicular dislocations that's something i'll talk about a little bit more in the future but um yeah, I think that gives us a nice rounded uh, approach there. Like I'll... you said too, with the uh, the neuro and the vascular, like that's a good thing because the brachial plexus is just so close there, right? Yeah. So definitely have a good look down the arm as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll just talk a quick moment about sling or not sling. Um, a good paper that people could read is called Conservative Treatment of Rockwood Type 3 AC Joint Separation and Randomized Controlled Trial, Sling vs. Brace. Uh, randomized Controlled Trial by Finsterwald showed no significant difference between the brace and the sling group in returning to like activities. Um, six weeks, they were wearing it and took off for shower and exercises at 12 weeks. There's no difference. In the case study I talked about earlier, this is more return to sport. There was no consensus to the timing of a sling either. So, for example, even in Benar, Zoom ended, but we'll just keep talking. Um, for example, there was no consensus of the timing of the sling. So, even when studies that were with surgeries, so the grade four to six mainly, slings were used for from anywhere from two days to six weeks. I could be wrong, and personally, it really depends on the severity, right? But if you have an op, but you won't have too many, you follow what the surgeon is suggesting, right? Um, now with the grades one to two, until I can get an x-ray, I'm not going to really mess around. I generally would like if we were at, at the rink and they kind of pull them, like we ended up taking the guy off the ice or, um, I'm going to go get him an x-ray anyways. Um, and then you sling him and support him until they get to the hospital, get the scan and then you go from there. So, but clearly there's not a lot of consensus on slinging and it's more from like a comfort perspective in my idea we're making sure with x-ray not just to confirm the ac joint injury as well but mainly to rule out a clavicular fracture or something such as like a sternoclavicular dislocation which is very very unlikely but could be fatal as it's nice and close to the mediastinum so therefore uh, in my opinion you can talk about it in a second therefore perhaps it's like if, if it is a grade two you're likely okay like other than doing your exercises for the first couple of days at home maybe you're sitting around without it on like it's supported but Perhaps you slap the sling on for a couple of days while you're wheeling around if it's too painful to tolerate. Um, or if you're like, hey, I like it while I'm sleeping type of thing, perhaps that's where they feel a bit more comfortable. But that's just my opinion and what the research is saying. Anything uh, from your eyes, Ben, that you can think of anything different or would you agree on that? I, I didn't look into this one research-wise at all. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of completely you. But the one thing that I was going to bring to it was uh, the sleeping and you discovered that because I found that like 
a lot of patients were just like, like I said earlier, they were finding that was like where most of their discomfort was or like yeah. why they were getting pissed off because I mean, there's nothing worse than not being able to sleep. Yeah. So a lot of the times I would just say like, throw it in the sling. Why not? Right. Yeah. And like, you're not going to, especially if it's like a grade two, grade one, you won't really need it, but like grade two, like it's probably only going to be for five days, really maybe a week or two max. If it's a bad grade two that you're going to want to wear it at all. So, um, you know, the, the bigger, the bigger, uh, just location. Sure. But, um, our separations, uh, I understand that, but just like, not just like, isn't a sling. He did, but he was grade four. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, he was kind of... <laughs> no, 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 that's why we I should have we should have him on and, and see if anybody can decipher what the hell he says. Um, <laughs> Maybe we'll do a quick we'll do a quick Skype with him and we'll get him in at the end of this. <laughs> yeah, <about> it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be hilarious. So that's really the sling versus sling debate. Like clearly, there's no major consensus, but and you just listen to your surgeon if it's a, obviously a bigger if it's an op, or you listen to the sport med doc or the the emerge doc and kind of triage with your patient, see what they can handle. Um, but it shouldn't be for too long. Nonetheless, from a treatment perspective, um, what are your kind of favorites with this? Ooh, that goes, Ooh. that's a big list. Well, I find like, this one's really, I, I like, I mean, I think I've said this multiple times, but I think yeah. this is an injury that is really individualistic because yeah. every, like the pain threshold with people with this one, I find to be really high. Mm-hmm um with some people and then really low with others yeah so i think one thing that i've made note of is no matter what they're getting soft tissue work and i don't care how long down the line it is like mm-hmm. as, even if it's like the day before they're getting back to hockey mm-hmm. i had a goalie um he was surgical actually and mm-hmm. i had a goalie and he w- he was very much so um he was fine the entire way. Like he was just like, whatever we got to do, let's do it. Yeah. Um, but even up into the last day and he found it actually quite beneficial. Yeah. So it, it was one thing for sure. So, I mean, just, and what I mean, like just, you know, some fascial release, um, trigger point therapy, copying all of the yeah. above, but from a, uh, from an exercise point of view, I don't know if you'd agree here, but I've kind of, I've played with that line when it's a conservative treatment of really just, Normally, I normally I keep the pain in mind a little bit mm-hmm. more than I do with AC joint injuries after three to four weeks. I kind of let them go into pain a little bit more. Oh, yeah. Um, I do find that nice dildo shirt, by the way. Thank you, dildo brewing co. Uh, no free ads. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I do find that like, especially when it comes to their exercise and overhead and horizontal adduction, like the ones that are going to bug them. I do let them push into it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I don't know about yourself. Absolutely. I think I would agree with all the things that you're saying. The one thing I, I think that um, having a few AC joint injuries myself uh, and one last boxing day when I went into the boards, uh, I, um, so I, I, I had a lot of, uh, you know, personal experience with it too, which helps you understand the athlete and the patient. But um not avoiding a lot of your scap stuff, right? Like um, it, early on, if you can get some wall slides going, because like, again, like the scaps and the chromium, all of this work together. So we can't just be like hyper-focused on like, oh, okay, the, the traps and the delts are here. Like uh, let's work through those. It's like, hey, we need that whole rib cage, scapulohumeral rhythm, like buzzing pretty good. So you're just doing anything to modulate that. And then like soft tissue work, I'm like, 
getting deep into the subclavius quite a bit, uh, working, of course, with the traps and mobs with movement in and around the clavicle once they can tolerate it. But yeah, the world is your oyster here. It's like, if anything, you just want, you don't want them a six months post where they're like uh, restricted or feel like a bunch of clicking and clunking. Like that's, yeah, it's probably not pathological if it's an issue, but it's like, um, you want them to feel free and, and moving through there. So yeah, any, I think anything to free up um, scapulohumeral rhythm and as well as like getting that thorax involved. Um, from a return to like, um, like where, when you're in that uh, funny phase of they're getting back to playing, but they still have some tenderness. Like what I've used, uh, this has been helpful with my work in rugby recently is getting the donut on the top of the chromium. So like you get in that like foam wedge and you take a tensoplast and pull it across their pec and attach it onto their op onto that same side, onto the inferior angle, just to like pin something down. Some people in other activities and a little bit of hockey will use like a Sully brace, which is the same, but it's really hard to wear that underneath your shoulder pads and guys really won't want to do that. So I think like a donut, it's a nice um, bridging of the gap, so to speak from a, not necessarily treatment, but it's kind of a little bit of taping aspect for you. Um, but yeah, like you could use all your modalities exercise. You could probably bore people to death with as well. With uh, when it comes to taping as well, like a bit of lucro tapes, never too bad, especially when they're just getting back to non-contact practice Yeah, and get them to stick handle if they're trying to go across body and whatnot. Right. Just a little mm -hmm. bit of feedback really. Yeah. And, and it might just, yeah. A little like bit you stability. Said, it gives them mental stability too. Just like it reminds them like, okay, I'm a bit restricted here because I have tape. There's because I had something go on. I'm not going to go do something stupid. Um, so that's what do you awesome. do for your mental stability. For my personal mental stability. No, we don't, you don't want to hear what I do for that. Not good. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, like from a treatment perspective, I think, uh, I think people can have a good understanding of that if they, uh, if they've dealt with this and, or if they want to look up some things on YouTube or other courses for sure. Return to sport. Uh, we talked a lot about this in our last podcast on um, unstable shoulders. I don't think we need to go into major details, but there's that one study by Kevin Wilk. If somebody didn't listen to that podcast, for God's sake, go read that paper because it's still going to help you. What I really um, think that people should be gauging return to sport off of here is, again, like you're not just using your timeline. You're using can they fall under their arms? Can they um, control their upper extremity when they're in that shoulder uh, tall plank position where they're doing the closed kinetic upper extremity test can they do all these things um from a strength perspective not just like range of motions there and times there that's not enough right i also do think that um there should be a graded approach right like you need to go non-contact practice contact practice see where you're at but uh, ultimately it's like have some outcome measures from the upper extremity uh, specific to weight bearing, uh, closed connect chain, uh, open connect chain, and um, see where they're at, and you kind of go from there. But if it's grade one, you're not going to be missing too much. No, and I think uh, another thing, just to tag on with your exercises there, and I'm going to ask you what your kind of favorites are, I guess, when it comes to AC joint injuries. Mm -hmm. But uh, lots of like lots of overhead once you get to the point is always good because you're going to be able to create more stability. Yeah. Um, even like D2 pattern type of movements, anything like that, like resisted movements all the way through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what I was going to ask you is, is there 
any particular exercises that you use quite frequently between patients I, with AC I, joint separation? I, th I think the uh, what couples all the requirements of this would be like a landmine press because you have that open kinetic chain perspective, but you also have the scapular humeral rhythm requirements and then like a little bit of thorax uh, involvement and then you're going to have an anti-rotation perspective. So that would be like your open kinetic chain option. And then like something, let's say if you don't have much access to um, other equipment, it'd be like a yoga push-up where you're doing a push-up, but you're also then required to go into that down dog position, which requires scapulohumeral rhythm to be at its max as well. They're not going to tolerate that very well right away. Um, but like crawling variations of weighted push-ups, banded push-ups, um, chain push-ups, and then like a, a landmine press um, as well as like, if we dumb it down even more like mini band, the external rotation with uh, shoulder flexion, that's again, going to require a lot of your posterior cuff and your serratus anterior to work really well. Um, but yeah, the world's your oyster there. I think there's lots of options, but getting um, free motion of the scap is going to be great. I, I don't think bench press variations in this context are perfect, but they are, they should probably be involved as well at some point, of course, like any program. How about you? Um, very similar. Um, I tend to do a little bit of almost like say weighted ball program work at a certain point as well. Sure. Um, just catch, just catches inflection, abduction, yeah. external rotation. Um, I do like some either 45 degree weight, waiter carries or sure. straight overhead waiter carries. Yeah. Um, bring a lot of stuff in there, but yeah. really yeah. other than that, you kind of nailed it on the head. I love landmine press. It yeah. is awesome. Yeah, I also think like the um, like plyo push-ups at end stage are great too, right? That's going to give you confidence with weight bearing through your arm. Um, and it's like that power perspective as well. Yeah, and a shoulder tap, like anything really in that variation, right? Where you're having yeah. to it's pretty much single arm bear. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I read a little bit on the research talking about like it seems like there's uh, a bit more of the injuries on the bottom hand. So like your shooting side. That could be just because like you're wheeling along the boards with your with the puck on that side that you might get crunched in the boards. So like a return to shooting, like here obviously, like, hey, if it's really bad, you're gonna start your first practice with you know, passing. And then you're gonna probably do some wristers, then snappers, then slap shots. Um, but yeah, anything that you would add on like return to skate or return return to uh, you know, play. Uh confidence confidence yeah. is big i think it's um i think it's something that's actually more of a barrier than i expected because mm -hmm. I, like the first couple this was a few years ago but the first couple ac joint injuries that i had they were relatively confident people but one of them was also like someone that i had known prior yeah. so i don't know if that may have helped um so then i had a couple that were like quite less confident especially like getting back into contact right even yeah. if it was battle drills at practice and stuff they were they were still quite um hesitant i guess is the best mm -hmm. way to put it mm -hmm. absolutely so, yeah and it's the same like we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago um, yeah. when it came to instabilities right mm -hmm. yeah i guess if you uh if you want a slightly more objective subjective uh, way to measure that, it's like you have your Western Ontario shoulder instability or shoulder disability index. Like there's some, some questions in there that might help you with that. Some other, um, some other things to keep it a bit more objective, but yeah, you bring up a good point. It's like, but that's also a good part of the return to play process. If you gradually bring them along, you're going to allow people to gain confidence rather than you're throwing them right back in 
then we know if a player is playing with not confident, they're going to play scared. They're probably going to get rocked. So it's yeah. like, um, it's, it's, it's something that you have to include your, um, your coaches and obviously involved with as well. Yeah. And I always think about too, like if you, if you are going to be like a little bit more nervous to go in for a hit, you're more than likely going to poke for a puck. Yeah. Still in that kind of vulnerable situation. Right. Yeah. Um, so Again, like I think I brought up, I'm pretty sure on the bank card, I would have brought it up on the bank card repair episode. Um, the psychological readiness for yeah. certain sports scale, perfect. Wicked. Like it's it's probably yeah. the best one to, well, the best one that I've used anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's a good one, big time. I think that's really all I have to say today, Ben. I'm not sure if there's anything that you wanted to go over, but hopefully somebody learned something from this. Um, and if you have any feedback, please let us know. Um, tell us to screw off or email or. Uh, you know, whatever. Any of the above. Um, yeah. But yeah, our email is thehockeyphysiopod at gmail.com. You can spell that yourself. Um, yeah. Twitter, we're Hockey Physiopod. Instagram, the Hockey Physiotherapy Podcast. So see if mm-hmm. you can check that out. Yeah. Know some, I mean, relatively decent con, like content, I would think. Occasionally, right? I, I think it would be wonderful if people could give us some feedback and maybe share feel free to share your podcast to somebody like we're all ears. Like uh, we'd like to think that we can, we can definitely learn. uh, Or if you want us to talk about something in greater detail or challenge us on something like, please do. So um, yeah, we'll we'll be back in a while. Like, like Thomas said, if you have any feedback for us at all, let us know. Like if we're being too boring, if we're not being boring enough, um, if you're falling asleep (laughs) to this podcast, I've been told a million times I'm monotone. So, Uh you know, well, that's the way she goes. You know, that's life. <laughs> so we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.